Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 229. A blessed year for all, in the form of seeing revealed good in all matters relevant to our lives, family, health, livelihood, everything else that your wish, your heart wishes and desires. May God bless us all with abundance. And above all, a year of Geula Amitiz Vashlema for each one of us individually and all of us together. So this is a special Rosh Yom Kippur and Sukkis, you could say a Simchas Teda edition because next two Wednesday Sundays will be um, won't be any class any program because next Sunday night will be the first night of Sukkis. The Sunday after that is already Shainara, but going into Shmini Atzeres. So this is considered a program that will try to cover at least some of the highlights and the applied chassidus of those particular uh, special days, the holiest days of the year, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, followed by Sukkot. I want to begin by, it's a good time to do this, to thank all of you and each one of you who have participated through asking questions through comments, through feedback, through critique, in all forms, especially those as well who have helped support us, not just morally, but also financially. This program is a free program, community-sponsored by listeners like you who feel they benefit from it. And I encourage you, especially in these days, as we go into Yom Kippur, when we increase in Zdaka, an excellent Zdaka is to help support Chassidus, Applied by going to meaningfullife.com slash sponsorship. Meaningfullife.com slash sponsorship. Meaningfullife.com slash my life. You'll have all the resources connected to this program, which have only been growing. Firstly, of course, all the archives of the previous 228 episodes. You'll have also the essays of this year and the last three years, the four years of contest, essay contest, the essays submitted by people of all walks of life, which we cover each week, three of those essays, as well as other resources that you can find that are helpful to bring, bringing chassidus and making it applicable to our personal lives. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but one of the outgrowths of My Life Chassidus Applied has actually been a course that has just been launched by, um, by Basi Cohen. And I want to thank her personally, who was Basi Mishalovin when she, before she was married, just last year, just last few months, I should say, who came to us, to the Meaningful Life Center, to myself, to help support and put our name behind a curriculum that she created, which is called My Life, Yadus for My Life, taking all the days of the year, whether it's Rosh Hashanah, or Yudas Kislev, or Heitavis, or Yud Gimel Tishle, Yud Gimel Nissen, and turning it into an applicable, personal workbook that every student who, can, um, who, who reads it can apply it to their personal lives, not just as a concept, but something personal. This is a direct outgrowth of my life, because it is applied. And hopefully, there are other things in the works, in the pipeline. Hopefully, more and more people will be inspired to create projects and curriculums and courses that will take Siddhis and apply it to personal life, which is, of course, the whole purpose of Siddhis. So anyone has any ideas in this regard, has any uh, projects, 
don't hesitate and please contact us. We are encouraging and we'll do everything possible to support anyone doing something of that nature. And hopefully we can then create the true revolution necessary, the ripple effect of filling the world with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. Which of course is the greatest way to prepare the world for Geula, as Mashiach told the Baal Shem Tov, that he will come, Mashiach will come when the wellsprings, so the wellsprings of Chassidus will be spread, as the Rebbe makes it clear and abundantly clear, to the farthest outskirts of the world, which means both obviously in space, but also in content and in concept, qualitatively, the farthest outskirts, when we apply it to our personal lives in the most mundane fashion, whatever it is that we're involved in and where it's informed and directed by Chassidus applied to us, is of course the chutzah within ourselves, the chutzah within our communities and within our lives. So with that, let us begin sharing a few words about Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Now, I have spoken about this previous year, so I'll refer, refer you to episodes 36, 37, and 84. I've spoken about Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Simchas Teda. So I'm going to try not to repeat. There I cover a lot about forgiveness which of course is connected to Yom Kippur, asking for forgiveness, a day of slicha, <coughs> mechilo, kapora, a day of atonement. So I'm not going to go over that. And, and other aspects of Yom Kippur as well as leading into sukkahs. However, I will add some a few extra points, but it's complemented by that which we've already spoken about, which you can easily refer to. I should also add, many people have asked, it's, it's very easy to download. Every program is immediately uploaded to iTunes and to other podcast platforms. So you can easily download a podcast to your, to your device, listen to it in a car or any other way. So you're not bound necessarily to view it on computer. It originates in, on a YouTube video where you, everything is timestamped. But in podcasts, as you know, you have even more tools to be able to manipulate and to maneuver and move around any type of uh, program like this. So, so those are the, the cross-references. Yiddishkeit and Judaism, of course, is built around the, the, the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish calendar, which is a fascinating calendar because it isn't just a calendar that counts time and is able to be in a way that we create schedules and appointments and keep our, uh, keep our day calendar, uh, our day activities and our to-do lists moving along. The calendar is actually a spiritual calendar. It reflects the true energies of the year, and each period in time has its particular power and energy. So as we move from the Yom Naroyim, which right now we're right now in the last days of Aserisimei Tshuva, Zayin Tishrei, and we're moving toward, of course, Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, and then four days more after that comes Sukkot, this is all part of an eloquent structure that reflects and mirrors our lives. And that's immediate chassidus applied. How does it mirror our lives? Because in life, we need to have yira and av. Yom neroim is Roshan Yom Kippur. Neroim, from the word yira, that's a sense of awe. You stand in awe before God. You stand in awe and with the respect and the dignity that's necessary. Vigilu berada, there's a joy within the trembling, but it's concealed. You're standing before God. You don't make somersaults. You don't dance. You don't sing. You don't say l'chaim. But then... We move to the second half of the month, literally. The 15th of the month, the full moon of Tishrei, will begin Sukkot, next Sunday night, as I mentioned. And that moves from awe, from Yireh to Ave, to Chesed. As the Pasuk says, Your left hand, which is Smele Yireh, Gvura, is under, beneath my head. 
That's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Yemini techapkeni. And your right arm embraces me. That's Ava that comes from Sukkot Simcha. A revealed joy that reveals the joy that was concealed under the cover, so to speak, in Bekesel Yom Chagenu, both in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So we need in life, we always need both elements. A person only has awe and tremble in a good way talking about, an awe of some higher presence, but there's no feeling of closeness and of joy and revealed love, so then it's just a matter of respect and awe, it doesn't really, it's not internalized. If a person only has love and joy and chesed, they don't have the sense of awe and the sense of respect necessary when you want to experience something that's beyond you. So how do you have both the beyond you and within you? How do you integrate the beyond? So you begin with an experience of beyond. God is Melech. We crown God as king, meaning he's not you. You're a subject of the king. And Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year where we fast, and the other, the five Inuyim, the five afflictions where we can try to, as much as possible, separate ourselves from the material world. So in other words, we're not bringing all our regular day-to-day life. Actually, we're going into the Holy of Holies. Although today we don't have a temple, but spiritually speaking, each of us, the deepest part of our soul, the Yechidah Nefesh, which is Achaz Bashan, connected to Yom Kippur, the fifth prayer, the fifth level of the soul, every day of the year is the regular order of three dimensions of spiritual experience, which is Nefesh Ruach Neshama, which is biological survival life, emotional life, Ruach, and intellectual life, Neshama. It's Chabad Chagas Nehi, backwards, Nehi, is nefesh, that's you say, the more actionable emotions. Then you have the emotional life that we live, which is chesed gvura teferes, which is ruach. And then we have neshama, which is chachma binadas. That's the conscious faculties. On Shabbos and Yontif, we add musaf, a fourth prayer. What's the musaf? Adds the transcendental life, a transcendence. We all need transcendence beyond just living the functional and survival life. So of course there's transcendence every day of the year too, but it's more focused and more pronounced on, on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Then comes Yom Kippur, Achaz Bashana once a year, where we pray a fifth prayer, Ne'ilah, Yechida. Yechida is even transcends transcendence. It's the pure oneness, to where you connect to the deepest part of your soul, to the deepest part of God, as the Eitz Chaim, which is cited in Chassidus, famous Bosilagani, that there's a nitzutz cotton, there's a small spark inside each of us that connects to the nitzutz echod, which is the nitzutz echod, which is how the divine manifests in a, a, a utter oneness. And that's what's touched upon in Yom Kippur, especially in the ila, the end of the day, when before the gates close. That what do we have? That we have the deepest connection of oneness. You can't even call it transcendence, because it's just total utter connection. Think of it, the seamless being in the zone, the deepest part of who you are, your most innocent part. That's not jaded, that's not been in any way tarnished or tainted. Pure white snow, the whiteness of Yom Kippur, the white linen of Yom Kippur. And that is what each one of us can achieve. That's something you don't achieve every day. Entering the Holy of Holies is a once a year event, and even then for a short period of time. The goal is that once you go into that engine room, into the deepest part, is to bring that back out into your regular life. So what happens afterwards? After Yom Kippur, that type of height when we reach, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we reach those deepest parts of our soul, then we celebrate. 
we bring it into Sukkot, and in a cellar, in an utter celebration, with each day of Sukkot being Mylon Bekedis, growing in the joy. And what is the joy? Not just joy, it's not frivolous joy, God forbid. It's the joy of experiencing who you really are. It's the joy of experiencing your essence and connecting with the divine essence. It's the joy and celebration of experiencing the purpose of your being and the renewed contract that was renewed on Rosh Hashanah and ratified on Yom Kippur, all coming to revelation. This interprets because the moon is concealed. Rosh Hashanah, it's a new moon. It gets revealed the full moon. Same moon is revealed. That which we can accomplish, Shoshone Yom Kippur, through tears, says, says Nayem Yem from the Rabbeim, we can we accomplish through joy, which of course is the culmination of the Zman Simchasein of the entire Sukkot. So, what do you have? A growth that moves from Ahira to Ava, from Naroim to Zman Simchasein, Yom Naroim to Zman Simchasein, from a sense of tentativeness and awe in a healthy way, sensing how God is beyond us, now integrating that beyond within. That's what joy is about. You feel the simcha, the palatable simcha. The palpable simcha, I should say. The palpable, tangible simcha, joy, and you celebrate each day increasing in the joy. And the different levels of joy of sukkahs, which is, first of all, the joy of every yontif. Then there's sukkahs as special. man simcha saying it three times that it's a simcha. Every joy Yontav has, including Rosh, um, Shabbos and Shavuos, including Rosh Hashanah. And there's, uh, there's then this Man Simcha and then within Siman Simcha Sena, Simcha is based on Sheva. And then we climb all the way to Shmini Yatzera, Simcha Sena, with a Simcha unbridled, ultimate, complete release, where we experience the oneness of Yom Kippur in a dance, in an utter dance of Simcha Sena, which is when we celebrate the Matan Teira of the Luchish Nias, which is why we dance with the Teira, not after Shavuos, but after Yom Kippur. So when is the dancing of Yom Chasenosah, Zeman Teira, the Chasenah, that happened when Mesha came down with the second tablets, giving us hope and forgiveness, Salach Tikidvarecha, that we celebrate and dance on Simchas Teira. How does that apply to our personal lives? I think it's pretty obvious, but I'll spell it out. In every part of our lives, we need to have these two dimensions. Let's start even on a personal level, Marriage is a reflection of the marriage. I said the Yim Chasunase is a reflection of the marriage between God and the people. What does a marriage entail? That there's respect of the two parties, the two spouses, and but there's also love. Um, a marriage has to have Ava and Yir. Not Yir that you tremble before your spouse, but Yir that you respect the space of your spouse, that you respect the mystique of the other. But a relationship can't just be by mystique. It also has to have a personal connection. There's a kiruv, a closeness, an intimate closeness, and that's the av. And both are necessary. You'll see every healthy relationship has a measure of space and boundaries. Everyone understands the other space and respects it. And there's an element that you don't get that's beyond you. That's precisely what makes it a real relationship. It's not about you. You're not in control of it all. At the same time, there's the av that comes in a joyous way, a joy and celebration together. So we see even in personal relationships, you see the application of these two elements. And the same thing is with relationships with our friends and relationship with others, with our community members, other community members, and relationship with ourselves. And of course, our relationship with God. The relationship is a constant dance, a constant journey, where on one hand, we know God is beyond us. On the other hand, we want to have a relationship, a closeness with God. And Chassidus explains that's an ongoing journey. You climb the ladder today, what was beyond you 
yesterday, today becomes part of you, and then you only come to see a greater horizons. Think of climbing a mountain. As you climb the mountain, you start seeing new horizons. You start relating to them. But then as you climb higher, you see even a further horizon. And that's the journey of knowledge, the journey of growth, always knowing that you no, never completely own anything. Everything is We have no peace. They have no peace. Not because they're anxious, but there's no peace because it's an endless journey. So even when today you've conquered something, there's always more to conquer. There's always more to gain. And you always have that type of journey of a Ava and Yira relationship where there's always something beyond and then beyond that becomes internalized and so on. This is what Chassidus, based on Kabbalah, has used the concept of Igulim and Yesher, Makif and Pnimi, Sevev Kalalmin and Mamala Kalalmin. Igulim and, and, and Makif and Sevev Kalalmin is that which is beyond, a sense that something is beyond us all. And Mamala Kalalmin, Pnimi and Yesher is internalizing. And hence you see that even as we internalize sukkis, the joy internalizes the powers and the energies of the Kedush HaKadoshim, of Yechida, that was revealed in Yom Kippur and built up to from Rosh Hashanah, built up to by Elul. Yet at the same time, you constantly see the joy still goes to a level where it's something beyond us, which is why every day of sukkis we make a hakofa, a shyness, hakofa is makif. To teach us there's more makifim. And then Asim Chasteira, of course, the greatest level of makifim. So it's a constant process of makifim and panimi. That which is beyond, that evokes awe, and that which is internalized in a personal way. In general, the difference between Hashanah and Yom Kippur is more awe, yira, and sukkis is more ava and simcha, chesed, to the kvura of Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Yemadin, din, kvura. But, sports, but you break it down. Each of them, of course, have both. That's why there's Simcha and Roshan and even Ayyam Kippur to a certain extent. And, but it's not the primary. It's more concealed within the Gvur. And on Sisukis, you also have both. You have the Ava, but you also have the constant journey, the Makifim that we continuously always look to grow. And that's what true growth is about. Yes, I know some people would like to just have the Menuch. I, I own it. I control it. Finally, I reach a destination. That's not the way, the path of truth. The path of truth is a constant journey, and that's what makes it healthy. You never want to stop, like your heartbeat, constantly beating. It's a wave, constant wave. Your breathing is exhale, inhale. You don't want it to stop. You want it to be a journey. New, fresh air, you exhale the old air, you inhale new, fresh air. Same thing with the beat. Contraction, expansion. Rotsei, shuv. As explained at length in Chesidus. So with that, let us go to some specific questions regarding these themes. We know the Yom Kippur is full of, rich with so many different dimensions to it. As I mentioned, forgiveness I've covered to some extent. But here's a question about tshuva. We know that tshuva is all, call Yom but tshuva. You're supposed to be do tshuva all the time. But as the Rambam says, even though all the time tshuva is niskabelas, is received well and can achieve great things, but especially the 10 days of tshuva, and especially Yom Yom Kippur, we can, tshuva can reach even greater places, and that's why a person should always see himself as the world is equally balanced, good and evil, and one good deed can tip the scale to bring you and the world redemption. Tshuva atzol. So the question that someone asked, <coughs> excuse me, tshuva, 
How can I show God that I truly repented? Thanks. So firstly, let me refer you to episodes 36 and 157 where I spoke more about tshuva. question is a very basic, obvious question. But if you think about it, it's, it's also the answer is obvious. You don't need to show God that you truly repented. If God, God, the whole nature, the whole being of God is that uh, he sees all. The fact that we don't see God doesn't mean God doesn't see us. He sees us. He hears us. As the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, chapter 41, he actually he, he um, measures, he assesses, he audits, he looks introspectively into our heart, into your kidneys and heart, and sees us in our, in our deepest insides, things that we don't necessarily always see. So the first one that will know whether we repented is Debishter. So, but at the same time, you're asking, how can I show God that I show God? From our end, we have to do what we can. We can't just say, you know what, deep in my heart, I repented. No, you have to make a real effort, because repentance is not just about an intention. Repentance is, requires effort and work. Whether it's repenting between things that, transgressions between you and God, there are things of regretting what you have done, correcting for the future, making sure that you come to the same situation, you won't do it again. When it comes to person to person, it's not even enough tshuva to the Simply not. The Shulchan Aruch says clearly. You have to also go ask for forgiveness. You need to make amends with the person you've hurt. They need to make amends with you if they hurt you. So tshuva is a real work. So when you do that, you don't have to worry the Ebrister will see. So you don't have to start putting on a show. It's not faking it. You have to do it. If you do it, I guarantee God's, God's See, I'm not sure maybe your question meant something else, but how can I show God that I truly repented? By truly repenting, and the rest is already automatic. It even says sometimes, even before you call, I respond. Why? Because God sees your intention and sees what's going on. And like, a good thought God connects to a mice, as explained in tiny, the different interpretations. What we have to do is our effort, whether it's a thought Action, words or action, we have to make our effort and then the rest God will take care of. A person sanctifies and purifies themselves a little below God already. Purifies and sanctifies from above. So it's a tit for tat, it's a midi connected mid. But we have to do our part. And we can't say, potentially, I'm a good person. Like the chassid that said to the Alter Rebbe, who, who demanded from him, why don't, you're a person that can learn Tata, why don't you learn? So he says, I, I'm capable of learning. So what do you want from me? The Alter Rebbe answered, just like a ganif is not someone who's capable of stealing, but someone who steals. A lamdin or a gon is not someone who could learn, but someone who learns. It's an interesting analogy, but it drives the point home. It's not about potential, it's about actualization. And God looks at what we actualize, not what our potential. He knows our potential. So what do you do with it? Are you acting on it? And every person according to their level, you don't have to be somebody else. Okay. Next question relates to Simcha, which is, of course, the second part of the month, which is Sukkot, that's coming next week. So here, let me refer you to episodes 37, 38, 40, 58, 60, 109, and 151 where I discussed Simcha at length, joy, how do you read joy? Here the question is, what? Hi, Rabbi. 
Simcha is a big mitzvah. But what exactly is Simcha? I've heard so many definitions of Simcha. For example, giving to others, wine, meat. Can you please clarify what Simcha is according to Chassidus? Pirkei Ovis tells us the definition of rich and strong, but it doesn't clarify the meaning of Simcha. I mean, rich, ezu oshir ha-sameach b'chalke, ezu gibra kevish ha Correct, it doesn't say there's ezu sameach. Ezu chokhmalim kolodim, okay. Thanks, good. And you're right, Simcha has many different interpretations, but let's get to the core, what Chassidus says. We know Simcha, and we're talking about obviously healthy joy, and we're talking about um, uh, healthy joy and revealed joy, which of course what joy is, is always revealed. So what does Chassidus say about joy? So there's a few statements that we have. That Simcha compared to Tainug, Tainug is something that can remain concealed internally. You could be pleasure, have pleasure and no one else is around. That's why Shabbos is connected to Enuk primarily, also has Simcha in it. Yontif is the, mitzvah, the main mitzvah of Achnos Sarchim is Yontif because there's no Simchas Kresi. There's no Simcha alone. That's why we invite people to a wedding or to a bar mitzvah or to a Simcha. Why? You can't celebrate yourself. Because Simcha by nature is expressive. Tainug by nature is concealed. It's not concealed to yourself, but to others. So that's one thing. Simcha is gili. What it is in Sfidus, Tainug is chachme, which is more internal. And Simcha is Eim Abonim Smecha, is connected to Bina, Eim, Ima, which is the expression, expression of joy and celebration. Another thing we learn about Simcha is Simcha Peiretz Geder. Simcha transcends, Peiretz Geder means pierces and splits apart all boundaries. Peiretz literally means to tear open boundaries. Other things about Simcha include that it creates psichas ha'alev, psichas ha'chushim, when a person is bejoy, their whole being becomes more expressive. The example Chassidus says that a person's joy is they will give more, be more giving, more magnanimous, even to people they dislike, usually, because in general your, your channels open up. And there's more to be said about it. But what does it all come down to? That Simcha is a force, a faculty, you can say, you can't say it's a faculty fact because it's not Bina associated with Simcha, but Bina is the faculty. That Simcha is a resource, is a um, force within our lives that allows us to break through the regular. Peter's get it. It allows us to reveal parts of ourselves that are often concealed. Nichnis Yayin, Yotzah Seid. Yayin is connected to Sameach Anoshim. That Yayin is connected with joy. So joy is an expressive revelation of who you are. I mentioned before, sukkus is the joy, not stam joy. It's a joy that is a revelation of what happened Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. So the same is within ourselves. When you see, for example, a person celebrates the marriage of a child, what do you see is happening? It reveals the inner connection you have with your child. It reveals the simcha you have of bringing up your child to this point and thanking God that you're able to walk them to the chuppah or whatever simcha you're celebrating, and in turn, it opens you up to be that expansive state. So we have the mitzvah, Yivdus Hashem B'Simcha. Sometimes to appreciate simcha, look at its antithesis, sadness. If a person is sad, they're, they shrink into themselves. The opposite of expansiveness, narrowness, limitations, boundaries. Simcha is expansiveness. So it says, serve God with joy. 
When you serve God with expansiveness, not like something you're forced to do or something with minimal energy, full energy. That's what Simcha does. Like the Alter Rebbe explains in Peter Chavov and Tanya chapter 26, that regarding the, the sin and the, and, the, and the debilitating force of asvus, depression and anxiety, he says, what, he gives the example when two people are wrestling and one person is downfallen and feels low, they're demoralized and don't have strength to fight. So the next thing Simcha does is it actually gives you keiches. So when you serve God, you want to go with full energy, not like a zombie and not drained or swamped, but something that opens you up. So many people say, if I had, if I had good things going on in my life, I'd be in joyous. And the response is, if you were joyous, you'd have good things open up in your life, because joy opens up channels. So that's in general throughout the year, serving God with joy. When it comes special days, like Yisrael Sim Chosenu, when there's a specific mitzvah to be joyous. So yes, through wine, through meat, it's not the wine and meat that's the joy, that's a method that God implanted in nature, certain foods or drinks, that elicit and help us reach a state of joy. But it's really a joy that's coming from within your soul. So Simchas HaNefesh. So times like Simchas Sukkot, and it leads up each day all the way to Simchas Teira, is when the channels open up that allow us to be more joyous than usual. So a person says, I'm not in the mood. So I've spoken about that. That's not about your mood. It's about what is available to you. If you're going to base it on your mood, you're going to trap yourself in your own mood. Here you have an opportunity to celebrate your life, the gifts of your life, the blessings of your life, and do so in an expansive way. So it's actually a gift, and in a sinuskeach, a power that you're empowered during this period to have that simcha. So simcha in that sense is expansive, and simcha in that sense opens up channels. That's one of the ways to explain the idea in personal terms. Now why the Perki Ovis doesn't mention it? It's a good question. It speaks about... Um, uh, he does say interestingly it means that someone that is celebrates with what he has but I think that suffices let me go to the next which is not necessarily related per se to the Yom Tevim but it's a question that always comes up in this season so I thought, thought appropriate to read it this week and address it and it's titled The Whys, The Watts and The Hows and briefly, the question is, then I'll read it more in detail. Naive faith versus skepticism. Can we ask about the whys in the house of Torah mitzvahs, or do we have to accept it all without questions? And here's how the questioner elaborates. And there's actually two questions related to this. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, yearning for your wisdom. When I first started to learn this, my approach toward it seemed to be pretty simple. Since I was, and still am, pretty ignorant when it comes to understanding these godly concepts, I took everything I learned with complete amuna, faith, and believed simply that when I put on film, for example, I draw down save of Kalalman, which is the transcendent energy, like Chassidus says. However, the more I continued to learn, the more I realized that I began losing this simple faith and started to become much more skeptical Naturally, I began to ask why and how things work the way they do. My mind began talking to me way beyond my simple, naive life, prior, trying to figure out the meaning of everything, questioning and doubting everything, asking questions like, why am I a Jew? How do I know my children accomplishes something? 
These are just the two of the seemingly never-ending whys and hows I come up with on a day-to-day that drive me nuts. My personal treatment for these thoughts have been to tell myself that Hashem set up our, our life or world with certain facts of how He works. To ask why it works in this way is a waste of time because that is not information for us to seek. I tell myself that I have to accept the facts of life and make the best with what I've been told through the Torah's lens. Not to speculate and wonder past that, asking the whys in the house. I was wondering still if you can please share any of your thoughts on how you might deal with this perspective. Thank you as always for your time and care, for shining lights, fresh air, and clarity to our community. Okay. Thank you for your kind words and confidence in me. I'll try my best. We have the principle we know of Nasa Kedem Lenishma. And when the Jews stood at Sinai, and when God offered them the Torah, they didn't start saying, let's see what it says, let's see if we can commit. They said, Nasa, we will do, and then we will listen. Or as explained, Nishma means then we will understand. <clears throat> the foundation of Kabbalah's El Malchus Shemaim, Kabbalah's El Mitzvah, as we do every say every day in Shema, Kabbalah's El Malchus Shemaim, accepting the yoke of heaven, accepting the yoke of mitzvahs, that's the foundation. But God did not suffice with that alone. Nasa kedem lanishma. It proceeds. You're not going to wait until you understand it all or understand part of it before you do. Just like the Rebbe gives examples with medication. You're not going to, until I understand how the medication works, I won't take it. Same thing on a positive end. You're not going to do something that's encouraged you by positive influences, even if you don't understand. You do. But then comes nishma. There comes nasa and nishma understanding, internalizing. In addition, we have the mitzvah, the Torah says, You shall know today, and you shall take it to heart. Love God. It doesn't just say be obedient like a servant to a master. There, a servant doesn't have to understand God, the master. Doesn't have to feel God, doesn't have to love. Just has to be obedient and subjugated and do what's told, what you're told. But the mitzvah here, we're told the faith is more than that. He wants us, God wants us to understand God. And he wants us to feel God. He wants us to experience it. He wants us to internalize it. In addition, God blessed us with a mind and a heart. For, for what? To use it toward that end. All these expressions, these are just a select few all indicate and directly indicate very clearly to full relationship. It's a partnership. Like we say in the Tfilis of Rosh Hashanah Kippur, we don't just say avodim, that we are avodim. Avinu malkeinu, we say we're subjects malkeinu, but he's also avinu, he's also our father. And reyenu, and anila deidivideidili, and deidenu, and ayasi, and many different expressions, each one indicating on a different part of the relationship. All this means that it's not sufficient just to go with pure faith. And you absolutely are able to and obligated to ask why and how. It shouldn't affect your action. Not saying, you know what, until I understand, I'm not going to do it. Or I won't do it completely until I fully fully understand. No. It's part of actually the Kabbalah sale that says, do it, also demands of you to understand. So you have to use your mind, and we learn Teda, it's a mitzvah to learn Teda, and to understand Teda. And we learn the time, the reasons for mitzvahs. 
And when you come to chassidus, chassidus goes into not just the reasons for mitzvahs, but the reasons for existence itself, and the reasons for all the different levels, and what a mitzvah accomplishes, what it does when you put on film, or you blow shefer, or you do the other mitzvahs, including those Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and so on. So my response to you is the following. It could be you began with a more of a naive, childish amunah, fine, and you stay with that. Then comes the point, not that seichel is a, is, or questioning is a, condition, is a contradiction to a faith. It's part of faith. It goes hand in hand, faith and reason. So yes, maybe for little children, they don't yet have the minds to be able to understand, so they begin with that. But then comes the next sophisticated stage where you're actually using reason as to complement your faith, and faith complements the reason. And that's also part of the process. So I'd absolutely encourage it. And it's not a waste of time. Will you reach answers to every question? The Baal Shem Tov says for every question is an answer, and for every answer there's another question. It's a journey like I mentioned before. That's clear. But you have to be on that journey. You have to continuously make that effort. You could say, well, I learned the Gemara. Will I ever understand it like the Tanoim and Amadoim understood it? The Shainim and Achleinim and, and brilliant minds? You may not, but you have to understand it. It's your relationship with God. And it's your praying and your connection. So that's the answer to your question. So absolutely, skepticism, however you want healthy skepticism. Ask a question. You're looking for an answer. Not a skepticism that is, consists of excuses of finding reasons why not to do something and just avoid it and hide behind mind games. Obviously, that's not what we're discussing here. In episodes 5 and 6, 80 and 81, 102 and 109, and especially in 113, I address this more at length. A related question, why are we from, why should one be observant? So here's how the question goes. I was recently having a discussion with my friend and I wanted to ask a question. So we got into a discussion and it started with davening. She said that she doesn't like davening because it doesn't do anything for her. And she only does it in class so not to be seen that she's not davening. She told me that she only davens because everyone else is davening. Davening is praying, just for the record. Then I asked her, well, then, what about sneas? Why do you keep that? Modesty. She said, because I'm respecting the people around me. I'm only being sneas because everyone else is sneas. And let's say when I go to some random country where no one knows me, I won't be tzniyas. Then I asked her about Shabbos, kosher and all Jewish things. She said the same thing. She only keeps, because, keeps them because she's respecting everyone else. I answered her, we're doing all these things because this is what Hashem wants and this is the right thing to do. But she just said, who's Hashem anyway? Why would he care? And she just had to come back to everything I had to say. I don't, didn't even know what to say anymore to her. I don't think I have the answers myself. What am I supposed to answer her? Can you please give me a good answer that explains why we are from, why we actually do keep everything, and not just the simple answer that this is what Hashem wants. Thank you. Okay. I remember when I was teaching in high school, and the graduates, 12th graders, I, uh, I began at some point Starting the, pro, starting the semester by asking the students to write a short paper. I wrote maybe two pages, one, two pages. Why are you from? And I have to tell you the reaction that I saw in the class as soon as I asked that question. Always the same reaction. Three different reactions, you know, which really reflects usually what every class divides into three general categories. 
One, there were people who were incredulous. What kind of question is that? Coming from a teacher, a mashpia, a rabbi, a chazer, a maniach. You can see it in their faces. And some actually articulate. What kind of question? Well, of course we're from, from because Hashem said so. We're chassidim, we're chassidim, from Eden, grew up in a home. Maybe that's why we're from. There was another extreme. People who I saw a certain sparkle in their eyes. Oh, interesting. He's open to questions like that. And then there was the third group which were confused. They didn't know which way to go. What does it mean? Is there a deeper meaning? So on and so on. Is there an answer? And the papers they returned reflected these three categories. People who just wrote, God said so, and I don't even understand the question. Those that wrote, actually the most best papers were the ones that were the skeptics. And they wrote, I wonder myself why I'm from sometimes. There are two excellent papers I remember one year. Both wrote similar idea, which is, I wonder why I'm from. Maybe it's just because I've been programmed. I grew up with my family that way. I, or, no one ever asked me. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But it's not something that I could say I'm from because I know the deeper truth and higher truth. I'm from because I grew up with it. That's the culture. From the youngest of age, I was sent to these and these schools, taught these and these customs and traditions and rituals, and that's what I do. And I still have not really come to terms whether it's something I want or something I, will, I don't want, or will I even challenge it. And then there were the middle that I saw were like not sure of themselves which way to go. My point I want to make is that the fact of the matter is, if you're an honest person, every person on earth grows up not with a clean slate. By the time you're old enough to even ask this question, you're already sent to schools by your parents, for good or for bad. They trained you in certain customs and rituals. And this is whether it's in a religious environment or non-religious environment. And even people grow up in homes that are so-called open-minded atheists. That's what they call themselves. That's also a culture. They also had a bias and a prejudice. My point is, nobody comes with a clean slate. And if someone says, you know what, I'm parents, I'm not going to teach their children anything, they'll pick it up from the streets, from the internet, from, from friends, from wherever. Children are impressionable, and they need direction. So to suggest that somebody does not have direction in life is not a blessing. So what do healthy parents do? They give the direction necessary. And they also implant that when you get of age, you come of age, where your mind starts working, you have questions, don't be afraid to ask. With a healthy attitude, as I said before. Nasa v'nishma. We all begin with nasa v'nishma because that's how the child is. A, a newborn child doesn't not ask what they want. Even the first few years of our childhood, we're not asked what we want. Especially major things. We don't know what we want. Our parents, if they're healthy, give us, provide us with direction and guidance and nurturing and cultivation and guidance and training and education and so on. The schools, of course, add, increase and add to that. But then comes a stage where a person is going to use their mind. They're going to ask that question, and it's fine. I have no problem saying, I was born, this was what I was born into. But I've also come to learn to own what I was born into, and I really appreciate it, and I really see the value of faith, and I see the value of the traditions I was taught. So my answer to the question, to just to get to the cut to the chase, of why to be from, I cannot answer this for anybody. Everyone has to answer this question themselves. Some people it's out of fear. Some people it's out of superstition. Some people it's out of culture and programming, 100%. But the true answer would be, yes, this may be what God wants, but do you own what God wants? Or you're doing what God wants, what your parents told you God wants. So I would say to a person, study Judaism especially with chassidus, 
and see how it's relevant, see its relevance to your life. See how it empowers you. See how it helps you actualize. See how it helps you understand yourself in a deeper way and makes you a healthier person, a more independent person, a more self-confident person than the proof is in the pudding. Then this method works. So like coming home with a computer and an operator's manual. The computer is a machine. You don't know exactly how the machine works, so you follow the operator's manual. It says, if you do this, this, and this, and that, the machine will work beautifully, hum along, and fulfill all its, all its, um, all its promises and all its, 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 actualize all its power. If you unfortunately do something wrong, you pour water on it, or you, you press the wrong buttons the wrong way, you'll destroy it. The same thing as God gave us a Torah, it's called Life's Operator's Manual. It's a blueprint for life. It tells you, do these mitzvahs, that will make you a healthier person, a more successful person, a more actualized person. It will align you with your purpose and with the divine calling that you were sent here for. And every possible way will make you a healthier person. God forbid, Lisa said, not to do something. If you don't do these things, it will also keep you healthy. If you do them, they'll be destructive. It's like, don't put your hand in fire. So we have to learn this. And when we learn it, in the beginning you're taught it, that's what God says. But the goal is to learn a way where you can internalize and say, ah, I understand it. Now, some things you'll understand, some things you may not understand. That's how it works, like I mentioned before. But if you start seeing that things make sense, then you can give the benefit of the doubt and say there may things I may not know yet, but clearly it's working. It's a machine that works by following this blueprint. That's how I would present it. Instead of not in a didactic and not in a dogmatic and not in a preaching or condescending way, that never works well, especially with intelligent people. But talk openly. Nothing wrong with saying that we start with Nasa and then we come to Nishma. Starting from our childhoods. But there is the goal of ultimately internalizing and understanding why you should wear Tzniyazdik, why you should be Tzniyazdik, and why you should daven, and why you should keep Shabbos and keep kosher. Not just respecting everyone else. Not just out of, uh, out of duty or guilt or, or fear of punishment but because you realize that this is the best way to live a dignified life. This is the best way to be the best you can be, to become the best you can possibly be. Now you could say, is that, is that l'shma shaleh l'shma? So first of all, the Rambam brings some Gemara, Paskans le'elim yaskad emetere mitzvah shaleh l'shma. A person should, all of us do things for ulterior motives, and from ulterior come to pure, to the l'shma. Secondly, the idea that it makes you a better person, that's not necessarily the reason you're doing it. The fact is that's the result of it. The reason could be because God said so. But each person has to come to that in their own way. Some people come from God said so and then they see the benefits. Some people see the benefits. And then they see, ah, this is clearly a divine plan because you see it works. And it makes us better people. So when the Torah gives the guidelines of how to be a loving person, how to be in marriage, and how to be with friends, and how to be, control your anger... These are all part of making us the best possible beings we can be. Which of course includes Ashani Yom Kippur and Sukkis, which are all part of this, these, this blueprint, this operator's manual. Okay. If you want to follow up with this, be free, feel free to do so and just write to me. Again, I want to mention anybody, feel free to write any anonymous or confidential question at MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife. There's a forum there where you can, fill, you can write, and it's completely confidential and anonymous. It's more than confidential, it's anonymous. I can't even trace it if we want to. If you want us to comment or respond by sending material or some other way we want to make contact, we have to send us your email address, the only way we can connect contact with you.
Okay, next question. I feel like I don't want Mashiach. When I feel like, what, what if I feel like I don't want Mashiach, this writer writes? Not because I don't want for all evil to vanish and for, the, for there to be peace in the world. I want that. But selfishly, because I want to do, I want to do, I want to prove myself in life. I want to succeed and show others that I have succeeded. I yearn to do my best. And until I succeed, I feel like I don't want Mashiach to show up just yet. So it's not that I don't wish for Mashiach to come, I just simultaneously feel that I still need to quote-unquote prove myself before he comes. Is it wrong to think this way? Oh yes, it's absolutely wrong to think this way. It's also, it's a very distorted view of Mashiach. I remember Shabbos Pasha's Achrigdeshim, Tavshinun Aleph, when the Rebbe said the Sikh and he said with a smile that people are writing to him, all this talk about Mashiach coming imminently, What's going to happen with their lives? With their equity? With their furniture? With their business contacts? With everything they've built up? And the Rebbe said, don't be afraid. Geula is Geula with an Aleph. Nothing will be diminished, only added. You'll see the Alufish Shalelam, the Agdus of Hashem Echad, Aleph, in Geula, and everything you have will remain. But you'll see the Alukus in it. You'll see that it's not an end in itself. It's, an, it's a means toward Leidas Hashem Bolvat, to know God. And the Rebbe elaborates there on the whole idea of what, how, what that means. I would say the same thing here. Mashiach is not some pie-in-the-sky idea that at the end of the day will get reward and your achievements will not be appreciated. On the contrary, Mashiach will actualize and allow us to be the best we can be. So two things I would say. Firstly, on the contrary, you want to show success? What do you think success is selling cell phones on Amazon? Show success by doing things that actually bring the geula, which bring the world and you to the best place you can be, and then you'll be even more successful. So think of Mashiach as being an environment where you can actualize and fulfill everything that you could possibly imagine. So to say, I don't want Mashiach to come, I'll prove myself, do whatever you can and help bring Mashiach, that proves yourself, and when Mashiach comes, you'll be able to prove yourself even further. So when you get this impression that Mashiach is, is, is divorced or severed from that type of self-development, I'm not really sure. As a matter of fact, the Ramam says, the reason the Chacham was severed from Mashiach was not even for Mashiach's benefits, but because then they could sit and learn Teda and fulfill their purpose in life. But however you explain it, the bottom line is, I think your view of Mashiach is a very either childish one or incorrect, with all due respect, or juvenile one. So yes, you should absolutely want Mashiach, but first learn what it is, and you realize Mashiach is the realization of everything that you want in life, in the fullest possible sense, without having the illness, God forbid, and the obstructions and the impediments and all the other aggravations that this world presents itself. Imagine having that. So then you can completely focus on being the best you can be, completely focus on proving yourself and success and showing others that you're successful. Okay. Let's do a follow-up. Is there any value in rigidity doing mitzvahs by rote, even if it does not refine me and help me personally grow? This was from last episode, 228, two, two weeks ago. So 
We spoke about it at length, so I'm not going to go over it again. You can look it up there. But someone did send Hayyem Yem 23rd of Elul, which was like a week before Rosh Hashanah. And I'll read it. It's in Hebrew. So it says, Teda that was given to us is, is complete with Midas Tevis. Or Teda Shanitlan Akula Everything about Teda that's given to us is about good virtues, good qualities. Even the ancient, even its punishments are in truth chesed v'tev, virtue, kindness and good. And both interpretations are interdependent on each other. It's You can't have midestavus without teda. You can't have just good virtues and being a mensch and a refined person without teda. You can't have teda without midestavus. So this person is saying very clearly that mitzvahs and, and the, the idea of teda mitzvahs without refinement is not complete, and refinement without teda mitzvahs is not complete. Absolutely correct. And I'll second that even more in Hillel's words in the Shabbos, when the potential convert said to him, tell me the entire Torah standing on one foot, he said, that do not do unto others that which you dislike. That's the entire Torah. And the rest, the rest is interpretation. Now go learn. Explains the Alter Rebbe in chapter 32 in Tanya, without asking the question, but it's obvious the question, what do you mean? A lot of part of Tehra is benodim lemokim. There are parts of Tehra that are not about not doing it to others which you dislike. And he explains, no, kol comes to create that hagabora satsur alachem, and the words that he uses there, that spirit should dominate over matter. That nafshei ikev tafel. You can't have true love for another. And you can't have a true relationship with God if your goof is ikir, your body and your material needs is the primary. When you realize it's secondary and the nefesh is ikir, then we can connect with others. So in essence, even Shabbos and Kashas and Tefillah and all the karbonas, karbonas and all the mitzvahs that are not seemingly about refinement are also about refinement. Because when you fulfill them, you become more of a divine person, you become more spiritual, you become more spiritual, automatically you become more refined human being. Which is why the Rambam says, then the Vilchas Tmura and Elchas Me'ila, that even the halachas that seem to be chukim and so on, are all come, the Yashar Sadeis, it all comes to make us better people. The Tzad of Behenas Abrius, as it says in Medrash. Okay. Let's go now to the Chsidis question. Binyan Hamalchus. So the 10 days of Tshuva Chsidis explains, based on the Arizal, it's called Binyan Hamalchus, the building of the kingdom. Rosh Hashanah was Tamlechuni Alechem Bashefer. Shefer. We crown God as king in simple English. That means that there's an entity that's beyond us and greater than us. And we serve that and we were created by it. And it lifts us up to that level. The level of something that is beyond all of us, the creator of existence. Okay. Then we build Malchus. Malchus has ten spheres in it. So every one of the ten days of Asesimei Shuva builds Malchus. The Chochmah Sheba Malchus. The Bina Sheba Malchus. The Dash Sheba Malchus. The Tefcheser Sheva Malchus. There's actually two opinions. That is, Allah and the Ramak. Which way we go? From Malchus Sheva Malchus. From Yesod Sheva Malchus. To Chochma. Or from Chochma down to Yesod. So Mechzedek has a whole piece on it. Neira Teira. Where he explains you cannot speak in that order. Either Matlamayla or Matlamayla directly. Because Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. I definitely stand out from all the ten days. If you're familiar with my book 60 Days. I elaborate on it during this period of time. 
it's a good opportunity if you want to receive the daily emails or WhatsApp. You can go on WhatsApp and get the daily audio recording for each one of these 60 days. Obviously, for Shabbos and Yontav, we send out um, the, day, the audio recordings the day before, to be listened to before. And there's the book 60 Days, which elaborates on this uh, 60-day journey between, from El through Tishrei. Okay, so here's the question someone's asking regarding this topic. In the Maimah Lohoven Inyan Tkir Shefer, this is a Maimah from the Alter Rebbe, but called the Maimah the of the Mitla Rebbe Siddur, which is my modem of the Alter Rebbe, and the Mitla Rebbe organized it by subject and by the Siddur order. So this is my modem, Rosh Hashanah, one of them is called Lohoven Inyan Tkir Shefer, to understand the Inyan of blowing Shefer. So he says, what does it say there? It says that to arouse Reimamus, to arouse the Reimamus is the exaltedness, the transcendence, the beyondness of God, it has to come from outside the essence. So to arouse the kingship, the sense of kingship, that cannot come from, from friends or from children. It has to come from, from strangers. Because there's no malchus, so you can't be a melech on your children. So it comes from avodim and avodim, they're separate, and they, at their own volition, choose malchus ebarotz and kibla aleim, to say you are our king, and that evokes the desire of the king to become king. That's a marshal. And the Maimer and other places explain the same thing with the Eibishter. That's why he wanted Dafke, a Melech Belayam, a Melech without a nation. Am, Bloshan Eimamus, means it has to be something outside and strange to the original. And that's what defines kingship. That's what it says. Good. Which is why we go, we, Dafkin, Shamas, Begufim, down on this earth. That initially we don't necessarily feel connected. And we turn on Rosh Hashanah to turn to God and say, We want you to be our king. We want you to be our leader. And so on. That awakens the Ratzin from Malchus, the Reimamus of the Melch. So the fellow, this writer, is asking on a practical level, it seems that a person who wants to build his self worth would need someone from outside himself to do it for him which of course makes it harder to accomplish. Am I learning this correctly? If yes, do you have any suggestions? Thank you. For you and your family. So he's asking a very interesting question. Since we're applying everything to our lives, what is an Aveda? An Aveda, we also have a Reimamus, each one in our lives. What we call dignity, self-worth. Based on this Maimed, it would seem that for you to build your Malchus, your kingship, your sense of sovereignty and value and self-esteem and self-worth, would also need an outsider because like with the, the way it is by Melech and the way it is by the Eberstein, Kav Yochel, that it doesn't come from within. So, which of course makes it a lot harder. We need others to validate us. So how do we, is that correct or incorrect? As I said, it's an excellent question. Here are my thoughts. First of all, the fact of the matter is in life, this is what happens. We begin our lives dependent as children on our parents and adults around us for validation. And they don't validate us and they don't confirm, they don't help build our confidence. It could have, it weakens our reimamus, it weakens our malchus. So yes, right there you see we are dependent to some extent on others. But with two major qualifications. I just said it has to come from strangers. Here it's from parents. Number two, is that really true? That means if we don't get that validation, we can never feel like a melech or a malka, like a king or a queen. And we see the fact of the matter is, God forbid, even those that did not get the validation can build it. 
We see people in, in therapy or other ways, they nurture themselves and they can build that self-worth and self-esteem. So let me take it a step further. The Eibishter too, as we know, and I spoke about this a number of times from the Maimer, Kemaim upon Leponim Tovkov Samachdal from the Alta Rebbe, the first time there was no one to make him king. How did he become king? So it's Halos Man Mineyu Bey. He's able to arouse it from himself by imagining or envisioning what will be like when a nation will be, when there'll be tzaddikim and there'll be people who will crown him. And from then on, it comes through Allah Osman, through Aravid. So even the first time, even that first Allah Osman is also envisioning us doing it. But he has to stimulate it from within because that's the only way it can work. Now that too has to be reflected in Aravid. So I would say that yes, there's an element of ours dependent on the validation of others, just like the Ebrister Kavyochel, so to speak, is dependent on ours in crowning him. But there's Allah Osman that we also have. So even if, God forbid, parents or others did not validate us, we always invoke the malchus of your nefesh is never stolen from you. It may be more difficult. It may be harder to access. But, but malchus is part of your nefesh. Like the Alta Rebbe says, the eser keiches nefesh the ten faculties of the soul, which include malchus, they evolve from the ten spheres, the ten divine attributes, and includes malchus. So when you have a family and, and adults and parents that validate and confirm and nurture and cultivate, then obviously they help bring it alive early on. But they don't give it to you. What they're doing, like a gardener does not create flowers, he, he, allows the, he nurtures the flowers so the flowers emerge. But even that should not happen, we can always fall back on Halos Mamaneyo Bay, where we have to cultivate it ourselves and find that validation within but even then, it's always important to have another person. That's what's called love. Why can't you just love yourself? Because Abraham made made in a way, just like with him, Kavyachal. Love of an, love, another person's love for you, whether it's in marriage or it's brothers and sisters or friends, but obviously mostly in marriage, is the love of a stranger. It's not a, a family member. So it's true, they're not crowning you as king, but they're giving you the dignity by loving you. And Dafka, their love is deeper than the love of a family member. Because a family member, you can say it's a biological connection. But a stranger that chooses, at their own volition, as I mentioned, to choose to marry you, to be with you, to care for you, even at their own expense, even compromising themselves, that's the ultimate validation of the malchus that's in you. They don't give it to you, but they validate it in a very profound way. So there you have, whatever scenario, the malchus is within you, but it does require having others to really confirm it and validate it. And then, of course, it just strengthens that which you have, which is your birthright. Okay, so thank you for the question. It's very relevant and very very uh, apropos to many of us. Let's do now the essays, and we'll conclude. Three essays. These are new essays that came this, in this last year's contest that were concluded before Pesach. And every week I read three of the uh, three essays of the hundreds that were submitted, we post them. They're posted literally as, we, as the week that I read them and review them. So you can see them on meaningfulab.com slash mylife. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter where you get a lot of resources, a lot of interesting and powerful information. And we also post there the new the news, uh, essays that are, that are um, uploaded onto our site. Okay, so three. First one, whichever way you do it, Bela Leshes. Age 20, Brooklyn, New York, 
Beisrifka Seminary, Beis. Whichever way you do it. So she writes, Bela, these days there is one universal question that exists within every language and nation. What's in it for me? This sentence, a question which accurately describes the prevalent selfishness that drives just about every dollar we make and activity we put into our schedules, is one that each of us encounter on a daily basis. What causes this attitude? Why is it so prevalent? And more importantly, what can we do to free ourselves from this mentality? In this essay, we will be exploring Hasidic methodology based on the foundational Pasuk of Tanya. This methodology can be applied to solve many issues, but this essay will focus specifically on overcoming selfishness. We will also be covering central themes of Hasidus, including his bonanus, his contemplation, making a home for the divine in this lowest of worlds, and bitl, which is suspension of self. Before coming to the three-part Hasidic strategy that counters leading self-centered, selfish lives, we must first backtrack to the very basic basis of Hasidus to understand the method used in this essay. And goes to the Pasuk that Al-Tarebbe bases on, analyzes the Pasuk, and then goes through a step-by-step process. Step one, contemplate. Step two, feel. Step three, act. Right? So he says, And then it works in reverse. Act, feel, contemplate with a conclusion. Very well done, essay. It was very um, empowering to read. And I encourage you to do the same. Essay number two. If you love someone, don't let them go. Chaya Gutnik, age 20, Melbourne, Australia, Seminary Chaya Mushka. So Chaya writes, Fundamentally, there's a problem in today's society regarding its inability to commit. The ease with which possessions can be replaced has resulted in a mentality that little is of value. In in turn, it has allowed for the same mindset to be applied to human relationships. Society seems to exist on the precept that it is easier to break a bond of love than repair it. The Tanya, authored by the Alter Rebbe, relays five levels of love for God that can be attained. These are Ava Rabba, Avat Olam, Great Love, Transcendent Love, Nafsh, Nafshi Levitcha, Desiring Only God, and Love Achieved by Way of Rachamim, Compassion. These levels of love are sourced in chapters 43, 44, and 45. From these categories, one can derive knowledge on how to value another and therefore foster committed relationships. And goes on to apply this, first analyzing the problem in society, then taking these five levels of love as a solution to the problem, taking each one of them. Avarabe helps reintroduce value of others into society through respect and understanding that the people one loves are irreplaceable. Avat Olam. Through loving one above matters of the physical world, a person can rid themselves of the societal mentality that people like objects can be disposed of without regard. Nafshi vitacha, okay. A person will not carelessly reject another in the way society today influences him to do if he considers himself to be one with a person. And then the love of father and son and a few other practical applications that are very solid and well done as well. And finally, in the third essay for today, be maintaining a buoyant disposition. Shana Zagwi, age 17, Brooklyn, New York, based Rivka student. 
Think of the ages here. Excellent. So it's beautiful to see people really applying themselves in this fashion. Okay, so Shana writes, The mandate of the Lord are upright, rejoicing the heart. In recent years, the power of positive thinking has gained a lot of popularity. Research has found that there are many very real health benefits linked to optimistic attitudes. Chassidus displays how maintaining a cheerful disposition can alter physical reality. If two people are wrestling with each other, the stronger will, the stronger will overpower the weak. But if, the, but if the stronger person lacks vitality, he will lose. Goes on to explain the three T's that Chassidus teaches us. Trust in someone higher, something higher than you. Think realistically while eliminating negativity. Transmit positive thoughts. And goes through these three items. Trust, think, and transmit the three T's. And does a very good takeaway as well about how these three forces, three elements, can empower us in dealing with any challenge we face. Thank you for that. Very well done as well. So with that, let me wish everybody a gemachsimateva. All your tefillas should be fulfilled in Kippur. The tshuva should be niskabel without much resistance. You should take this holiest day of the year and find the holiest part within yourself, connecting to the holiest part within God, meaning the essence, the divine essence, atmos, that yochid, Yechid of the Nefesh connects to the Yochid Lamaila. And then bring it into the joy of Sukkot with family, with friends, in an exuberant explosion of celebration growing each day. It should be a Simcha Dika Sukkot. Lamaila Makomi did this, Vagbola Simcha Peretz Geder. Until we get the Simcha Seilam Al Resham, the highest Simcha of Simcha Seil that leads into the Simcha Sagula. But the Gula can come along before that. And it should come on before that. So then Yom Kippur and Sukkot obviously will be elevated to a completely higher level. As I mentioned, there will no, be, will no program next Sunday and the following Sunday due to the Yom Tevim. But I will, Mitzvah Hashem, be with you hopefully three weeks from now when we will resume with the next episode. Everyone should have a good Gebenz to Yod, a good uh, Yom Kippur and a Frelech and Sukkot.